see the movies. I'm in high school, so I talk a big game about a lot of stuff, and there's no way I can actually see it. It's contraband. It's foreboding, especially in our conservative church community. But then one night, staying over at my best buddy Craig Sterling's place, late Saturday, we're playing video games when Craig's brother, Kurt, comes downstairs and he's waving a black cassette tape both of us know what it is before he even opens his mouth from WNYC Studios Snap Judgment proudly presents Unthinkable my name is Glenn Washington in just a moment you will understand why peer pressure is the worst kind of pressure because you're listening to Snap Judgment Snappers, fasten your seatbelts because today, producer John Fasile takes us on an epic journey through the making and legacy of one of the most controversial films of all time. A film so infamous, it's become an urban legend. But before we get started, please listen up. This episode is not for children or sensitive listeners. Every single trigger warning in the trigger warning book applies to this episode. We'll return to regular programming next week, I promise. If this sounds like something you cannot handle, turn off the radio, unplug your headphones back slowly away from the audio device. Feel me? Snap judgment. So after shooting a particularly difficult scene... I told my crew we'd go to my house, which is on the beach, and we could relax. When we got there, the crew kind of went into my living room and got a drink. My camera guy and I uh, said, well, let's go jump in the ocean, maybe do a little body surfing, because it was pretty decent surf uh, in front of my house. Got our trunks on, ran out, jumped in the ocean, and we're body surfing, and we bump into a dead body a lot of times is a, a body that's been in the water for quite some time it fills with gas and at that time it was kind of floating on the surface and I said oh my god and we watched this body and it kind of bobbed around and it the, the ocean was taking it into the shore and I told my camera guy I said go go get the cameras and go get the crew bring them out here let's film this This is Conan. Conan is not his real name. Before he found himself filming dead bodies, Conan was just like any other kid growing up in Southern California in the 60s. Except his dad had this pretty cool job. He hosted nature shows on TV. There are all kinds of animals all over the world. Conan joined the business early, He dropped out of high school to work at his dad's company. I learned how to load cameras. I learned how to edit. I was a cameraman for about 10 years. 
And then I started producing my own shows. And then one day in the mid-70s, a man from a Japanese film company showed up at Conan's office with an unusual proposition. He said, Hey, you guys have all these nature films. You must have some animals that are being killed. He wanted Conan to make a follow-up to a documentary called The Great Hunt, which was composed entirely of footage of animals dying. People killing animals all over the world and how animals were taken for food, basically. This was a very particular style of documentary called Mondo, created by the famous, gruesome film Mondo Kane. And I was, I, I loved Mondo Kane. You have never in your life seen a film like Mondo Kane. There was all kinds of different things in Mondo Kane. The film is a collection of obscure rituals from all over the world. They coined the term shockumentary. And there's lots of animal slaughter. Remember, Conan's dad hosted nature shows, so they had tons of this kind of footage. But Conan was tired of making nature films. He wanted to do something more ambitious. So I suggested, why don't we do something about humans getting killed? I'm fascinated by death. And growing up, death was something you did never talk about. And, oh, Grandpa passed away. Well, how did he pass away? What, what happened? One of Conan's favorite scenes in the original Mondo Kane deals with this very subject. I think it was in China, but they were the death houses where, where the elderly people went to die. The hopelessly sick are all brought here in this tragic boarding house for the dying. That stuck with me. So Conan came up with a plan to sell the Japanese on a documentary that would explore the many faces of death using real, shocking footage. Footage that moviegoing audiences had never seen before. So I went and got a doctor friend of mine who had access to a morgue, and I went and shot a autopsy. He cut that material together with some other graphic footage. The Japanese had flown out, and we had a screening room, and we showed him that stuff, and they just went batshit crazy. They were so excited. And that's how Faces of Death came about. For the first time in cinema history, the greatest fear of all mankind will be graphically exposed. Conan had no idea what he was about to unleash. Now, a motion picture dares to take you beyond the threshold of the living, where you may discover your own face of death. Faces of death. It has shocked and horrified millions of viewers. The film was supposedly banned in 40 countries. Banned in 40 plus countries. It was if somebody just kind of dropped a dark cloud over me. Yeah, let's have fun. And what is the fun? Watch people get cut up, watch people die. A 15-year-old accused of killing a classmate with a baseball bat just for the thrill of it. Why are they filming this? Why are they doing this? What is wrong with people? Rolling and action. If you have never thought about death, it's time you started thinking. Faces of Death, now a major motion picture. Faces of Death is the shockumentary of shockumentaries. It's legendary. 
Conan was in his mid-twenties when he started making the film, and he didn't really think about what its impact might be. I was quite young when I made the first film, so to me it was just kind of a fun experiment. Can I do this? Can I pull this off? And um, I knew there was a lot of uh, news material out there that had, you know, was hidden away and hadn't been touched mm-hmm. that I could get my hands on. When Conan first started making Faces of Death, he went door to door to different news organizations. And asked to look at the grossest footage ever, and we lucked out on a couple things. There was the PSA air crash that happened, and we asked to look at the footage, and they had the, the reel to show us. A young intern who my writer and I both flirted with a little bit to try and get her to show us more. She said, well, there is a, there is a tape called Body Parts. And I said, that's the tape we'd actually like to look at. So... She pulled that out, and boy, did it have body parts in it. He gathered a lot of this kind of stuff. But this was pre-smartphones, pre-digital cameras, pre-internet. And he couldn't get enough material for a feature-length film. So Conan knew he was going to have to shoot stage sequences. The film was scripted. It was storyboarded. The film is introduced by a quote-unquote doctor who comes out in scrubs. I'm Dr. Francis Gross. I work as a pathologist. And over the past 20 years, I've compiled a library of the many faces of death. Dr. Gross, as you may have guessed, is played by an actor. The film is a hybrid of staged scenes shot by a camera crew and real documentary footage. For example... Conan acquired this one awful shot of a woman taking her own life. She jumped off the side of a building. But there was nothing leading up to her jumping off and no aftermath. It was just a 50-second or 40-second piece of footage. Does a full moon affect the psyche of a human being? We knew exactly what she was wearing. We matched that. We got an actress. We got the police and did a whole bit based on what actually happened of the police running up into the apartment, knocking on the door, trying to talk her off the ledge. She jumps. Here's where they insert the actual footage of this woman falling to her death. And then we picked up with, again, dramatized footage of the ambulance and scraping her brains off the sidewalk. But many of the most violent, most talked about scenes in the film are just completely fake. Though many people, to this day, still believe that they're real. The scene with the electric chair, for example. The fellow that played the part was a professional actor. He went on talk shows and tried to describe what it was like and playing the part. And a lot of people would call in and say, we don't believe you. It was real. The Al-Aram restaurant in the Middle East presented... The part where people eat monkey brains... We had several different monkey heads, and inside the monkey head was a plaster pair of skull, and inside the skull was jello and cauliflower and other stuff to simulate the brain. Conan himself appears in the film, playing a masked, gun toting French assassin. My name is Francois Jordan. I'm a Harold assassin. Did you think that people would think it was real? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Were you worried about that at all? 
Well, there's a disclaimer in the credits at the very end, which says uh, something like uh, certain exiguous scenes were recreated to further document their factual origin. No one could come back and say, well, you said this was all real. Well, actually, no, we didn't. We said that we simulated some stuff, but it was in legalese that most people couldn't fully understand. The credits are filled with pseudonyms. Not all of Conan's crew members wanted their name on Faces of Death. Conan didn't even want his real name on the film, which is how he ended up with... Conan the Killer. Which is French for... Conan the Killer. Or at least... It sounds like it could be French for Conan the Killer. But what, but that's not what Le Calaire means. No, I don't I don't know what it means. I you know. <laughs> I don't even know if it's a proper French name. Faces of Death was shot over four to five weeks. There were a couple of times during the shoot where life and art overlapped. Like when Conan and his camera guy were body surfing and bumped into a dead body. This young man was at the prime of his life. Maybe he took too much for granted. And this whole time, Conan's mother was in the hospital, dying of cancer. I would leave filming probably 7, 8 o'clock at night and ride my motorcycle to the hospital where my mother was at and go to her bedside and then hold her hand and talk to her, try to talk to her when she was lucid. And it was one of the most difficult things to do in my life when you see your mother dying and you see all the death that I'd seen in the last previous months producing Faces of Death it gave me a little different outlook in a world with no sound their cries go unheard the reality of life becomes totally absurd being in the morgue week after week and filming so many dead bodies There wasn't any fear. There wasn't any terror to me. It wasn't even gross, except for the smell. The smell was pretty nasty. These were just shells of people that had passed and their souls had gone on to a better place. All of this might help explain the film's surprisingly warm ending. There's a sequence at the very end of the film with a song that's about life and rebirth. It starts with the scene of a woman having a baby and goes into the scene with the baby and then the mother in a, a hot tub holding the baby and there's a song that plays, Life Goes On. And I think that all came out of my mother's death, that even though there's death, life does go on. It's not really the end. For your life and what life means. Well, what about this thing that, that, that um, it's kind of like you're capitalizing on people's suffering? Well, people suffer and people die. We had a a buyer that wanted to buy a film that was going to pull people into their movie theaters in Japan. In 1978, Faces of Death was released theatrically in Japan under the title Junk. 
in Japan, it blew everything else away. I think it tied box office with Star Wars when it was originally released. I don't know about the Star Wars thing, but it did kill at the box office there. That's crazy. Who, who would have thought that? And then the phenomena actually didn't happen then. The phenomena happened a few years later when Faces of Death became widely available in the U.S. thanks to a revolutionary new piece of video technology. Experience Panasonic VHS Hi-Fi. VHS. By 1987, there were 42 million VCRs in the U.S. They released it as a home video, and it was during that time that the U.S. became aware of the film, became interested in the film, critics became outraged. We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store, back where it says horror videos, and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the Video Nasties. Siskel and Ebert did a whole episode on Video Nasties, the violent, low-budget horror movies that were flooding VHS rental stores. And kids are renting them voraciously and holding Video Nasty parties in their homes to see if they are man enough or woman enough to sit through all this disgusting gore. The trend is so popular that some stores have devoted entire shelves to this gory stuff under the horror label, but this isn't regular horror pictures. This is stuff that is simply blood and guts. And the most popular nasty of them all is a piece of trash called Faces of Death. The film's VHS packaging was a horror movie fan's wet dream. A black box with Faces of Death in big red letters next to a skull and a banner over it that read, Banned in 46 Countries. And that kind of added to the mystique. It was banned. It must be something I want to see. The film was banned, at least in England. And there was some talk of banning the film in the U.S. Legislation was introduced in several states to keep it out of the hands of minors. People were saying all kinds of things about the film, that people were killed in the film, that it was a snuff film. Some rental stores refused to carry it. Others kept it behind the counter. A lot of these little video stores couldn't get it. So their copy was a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy and pretty grainy. And that lends itself to the whole fiction of being a snuff film. It's hard to believe, and I don't believe, that parents are really aware of what's contained in those films. Yeah. Let's have fun. And what is the fun? Watch people get cut up, watch people die. And the effect is that you confuse pain with entertainment. Psychiatrists debated the merits of Faces of Death. Some worried the film could desensitize viewers and interfere with the development of children and their attitude toward death. And that's kind of what happened. The release of Faces of Death did have serious real-world consequences. And the first one I want to tell you about happened in 1985 at Escondido High School in Southern California. When we return... Faces of death wreaks havoc. People's lives are changed 
in just a moment when Snap Judgment, the unthinkable episode, continues. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the unthinkable episode. Today, what happens when you make a movie so shocking, so horrible, that it changes the lives of the people who watch it? Producer John Fasile takes us beyond Faces of Death. I was in the, I want to say the 10th, the 10th grade, yes. It was over 30 years ago, so I'm trying to remember. Sherry was actually a junior. It was the end of the year. She'd just finished her math finals. There was some downtime. So her teacher, Mr. Schwartz, wheeled out a TV stand and started playing videotapes for his students. The first one was Rambo First Blood. And then he put the Faces of Death movie in. Almost immediately, there was a huge reaction from the class. The boys were, you know, like, oh, cool, or hey, that's awesome. But as the movie progressed, the class became more and more silent. At one point, myself and another student, Diane, asked to leave. This is Diane. It was pretty gross, pretty disturbing. Um, I didn't want to watch it. And he said that we couldn't. He told me no, that we were going to have to stay and watch that movie, and then he kind of took my chair and swung it around on the floor to face the TV. And so we were forced to sit and deal with this entire movie. I remember parts of an autopsy, something about monkeys and they were bashing their heads or something. They gave all of the people at the table a hammer and the people at the table proceeded to beat this monkey over the head with a hammer until it died, and then they would cut the top of the head off and eat its brains. That one bothered me the most because I really love animals. I just remember feeling icky. (laughs) For lack of a better term, it just felt really icky. It was as if somebody just kind of dropped a dark cloud over me, and I remember it being like that pretty much the rest of the week. When Diane went home that day, she told her mom what happened. My mom was cleaning the house. It was funny. She always wore this little um, bandana when she was cleaning. That was like, okay, mom is cleaning. I was just telling her about my day, and I'm like, well, you know, you wouldn't believe what Schwartz did today. And, you know, I was just kind of describing it. She stopped what she was doing, and she, you know, her mouth kind of, and she's like, what? (laughs) And I kind of knew at that point, I thought, oh, crap. (laughs) I knew she was pissed. She put her cleaning stuff down and got her car keys, and she went to talk to the principal about this. She thought that it was pretty inappropriate. He basically told her to um, go back and clean her house and let him take care of the school. That was not a satisfactory answer for her, so um, she decided to go to the video store. There was a video store around the corner from the school. You know where this is going. Diane's mom rented Faces of Death. She went back to the school and basically walked past the secretary and went back to the principal's office and she said, "Um, go ahead and get a chair because we're going to watch some movies. Diane's parents started a lawsuit against the school and asked Sherry's parents to join in, which they did because Sherry had spent the rest of that summer afraid to go outside. 
I just had, I had a, I had kind of a, um, like it was like a fear of death. Like I didn't want to do anything that I could get hurt or I didn't want to leave the house and I didn't want to go in a car because I was afraid I was going to get in a car accident and I kept having these nightmares. At school, Mr. Schwartz was the cool teacher. So Sherry and Diane's lawsuit did not go over well. My locker was broken into and trashed. Um, Everything was like thrown out all over the ground. At one point I was at lunch and they were throwing trash at me and they were calling me teacher sewer. They ended up leaving school. Diane transferred. Sherry took the GED. Their parents eventually settled the lawsuit. And Mr. Schwartz received a 10-day suspension. Conan had only been dimly aware of the incident at Escondido. I played him some of Diane and Sherry's tape, and he was pissed. He has a daughter close to the same age that they were. It's not even X-rated. It's unrated. This teacher almost weaponized faces of death. Any child that doesn't want to see something should be able to leave. And why he's showing it to 15-year-olds is beyond me. But what happened at Escondido High School isn't the most dire episode associated with faces of death. Closing defense arguments today in the trial of a 15-year-old accused of killing a classmate with a baseball bat just for the thrill of it. Rod Matthews was 14 when he committed this crime in 1986. He told a psychiatric counselor that he decided to do it after watching well, Faces of Death. What it, they, the article says is that he... Jesus, how, watched, well, he, how old was he? He was 14. That's fucked up. Yeah, I've never heard of this one. Faces of Death is associated with two other murders as well. Although, to be fair... The connections are tenuous. I think evil people are evil people, and they're going to commit their, their crimes no matter what. It makes me feel bad that he said it was faces of death that made me do this, but do I believe if faces of death was not around, that would have stopped them from doing it? No. And again, maybe that's me on a, a self-defense mechanism saying, well, I, I, don't, you know, I don't believe it's my fault. Maybe it is. I'd hate to think that. There's nothing that could be further from my desire to create the film. What was your desire then? To shock people. To scare people. I wasn't thinking, oh, how is a certain part of my audience going to react to this film and should I do it or not? I was thinking, how can I get the most people packed in a movie theater and make the most money? Frankly, that's what it was about. Look, me personally, I don't think Faces of Death is a film you can actively like. But I get it. It's shocking. I like being shocked. I like the adrenaline rush. It's cathartic. And I talked about this a lot with Conan. If it's not your cup of tea, it's not your cup of tea. Yeah, uh, it is a, that is, is a weird cup of tea. But it's a totally weird cup of tea. There's no question that it's a weird cup of tea. But it is fascinating. It gave me a kind of a weird perception of death, I think. Being hit in the face with images of death when you're young and you don't really have the faculties to manage that, it 
I think that it changes how you perceive those things pushing forward. After high school, Diane and Sherry found themselves drawn to high-intensity situations. In their early 20s, Diane worked a suicide hotline. Sherry sat with family members of people who died unexpectedly. On the weekends, they would borrow a police scanner and drive around, watching the cops respond to calls. Both of them credit faces of death for the shift in their lives. I don't remember having the desire to be involved in things that were so adrenaline-inducing before that. Before that, I volunteered at a daycare center. That was the first time in my life I realized that, you know, life can be bad. Life wasn't flowery and pretty and nice. Life was ugly. And I took that and went with it. Sherry even considered becoming a coroner, but decided to go into the military. Diane became a paramedic. She's spent her adulthood living out the kinds of scenes that might appear in Faces of Death. Oh, just um, gore and um, people in their worst moment. You know, I've had brain matter in my hair. Normal people don't I really don't think they have any idea of the things that um, paramedics and EMT see. When we see things that disturb us, we limit our emotional response to protect ourselves. That's what it means to be desensitized. Diane knows that better than most people. You learn very quickly to not have any feelings at all. Well, that bleeds over into your normal life. You just don't have feelings. I am not a normal person. You know, let me, when my grandson was born, and I hate to even say this, and I hope that... I felt nothing. I looked at everyone else in the room, and I saw how they were acting, and that's how I acted too. But I felt nothing. I couldn't feel good or bad. Okay, so Faces of Death. The film that altered the direction of Diane and Sherry's lives is, right, mostly fake. But they've gone the past three decades thinking it was entirely real. So, like, the monkey brain sequence, for instance, that is completely fake. Wow. I didn't know that wasn't real until you told me that when we talked on the phone. I, I didn't know that. Isn't that awful? I thought it was all real. That was what was so weird about it. I'm like, why are they filming this? Why are they doing this? What is wrong with people? After the film became this massive international controversy, Conan went on to make three sequels and one greatest hits compilation titled The Worst of Faces of Death. He was still producing TV shows under his real name for clients like the Disney Channel. But Conan's not in L.A. anymore. A little over a decade ago, he decided to move with his family to Colorado. I was kind of semi-retired or semi-retiring, let's say, and wanted to find something to do. My name is Francois Jardin. I'm a Harold assassin. So remember how Conan appears on screen as a gun-toting French assassin in the first Faces of Death? That was a very deliberate choice. 
all the guns, all the ammo, all the stuff you see in the scene was stuff that I personally owned. He's way into guns. I've had guns my whole life. I'm around guns. I'm frank. I'm wearing a gun right now. So when the owner of his favorite gun store in Colorado told him that he was selling the shop, Conan got another crazy idea. Huh, this could be interesting. I said, would you mind entertaining a counterproposal? No. Yeah, why don't you just give me the tour? All right, so... Conan's shop specializes in tactical gear and firearms, including semi-automatic rifles. The store's logo is a skull. You can see these are little skulls, and that would take your standard AR-15 and dress it up. Oh, so like accessories for the AR-15 with skulls on it. AR-15s are kind of like adult Legos. Because you can change them and dress them up. This one has I asked Conan what he thought the connection was between Faces of Death and what he does now, besides the skulls. Well, I, 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 I would say um, because a lot of people don't want to think about death, there's also a lot of people that don't want to think about bad things. I'll give you a good example. My ex-wife says I'm paranoid because I have a gun. And my response is, I'm not paranoid at all. I'm not afraid to go anywhere because the gun is a great equalizer. Many people avoid this because they don't, oh, oh, dark things and evil people, that'll never happen to me. And it happens and it happens a lot. And it seems in our society happen more often now than it ever did. A lot of Conan's clientele are in law enforcement. Many of them have seen faces of death the older guys, they remember it. They remember it showing it in the firehouse or showing it at the police station. And it's because he sells so much to law enforcement that he's able to stock things like a fully automatic machine gun. It's a floor model for SWAT teams. Yeah, don't shoot until I say action. Okay. Let's put it on full auto because I don't think it's going to... He took me out to a range so I could shoot it. Rolling and action. Good job, man. After we were done, he spent several minutes hunched over his iPhone, editing the videos he took of me shooting and adding a bunch of slow-mo. Okay, so let let me just just finish fucking this. It seems like there's a lot of shootings where people are using these these guns, like guns you can buy out there. And uh, I mean, I don't know. Do you ever have second thoughts or feel any like? No, never. Or never, feel responsibility or guilt? Never have it? second thoughts about it. Never feel responsible for it. Just relax. Take a deep breath. Let it out. Perfect. This world is a fucked up place. And there's a lot of bad guys out there. Like you're squeezing a lemon. <laughs> You don't want to take responsibility for your own protection. You think it won't happen to me. How many people have been killed thinking that? I do not see myself as a sheep. I see myself as the sheep dog. It does give you an adrenaline rush. There's no question. I carry a gun. I have a permit to do so because I refuse to be a victim because I've seen the dark side of humanity. I've made films about the dark side of humanity and I'm going to be prepared. Thank you.
Big love to our film consultant Spencer Parsons and Todd Wynecki. And special thanks to producers Esther Honig and Catherine Debedici Jaffe. The original score and performance of that score was by our own Renzo Gorio. The story was produced by John Facile. Oh, Snapadapas. You should know that our sister podcast, Snap Judgment Presents Spooked, it's in deep. Brand new, never before heard episodes each week until Halloween. Real people revealing their encounters with the supernatural. It's straight up, no chaser. Big scary fun. Spookedpodcast.org. And Snap Judgment Live is going on tour. Portland, Seattle, Detroit, Chicago, Louisville, Iowa City. That's right. Get your tickets before it's too late. The electrifying show that will make you laugh, make you cry, laugh some more. The nation's top storytellers backed by the beats of Bell's Atlas. Snapjudgment.org. Our show, it is produced by the team that would never, ever press play. Give it up for the Uber producer, Mr. Mark Ristich. Pat, don't sleep, Masidi Miller, scary cat, Anna Sussman, John, the brave-hearted Facile, Renzo, eyes open, Gorio, Leon, private eyes, Morimoto, Eliza, eyes closed, Smith, Adiza, inside voice, Egan, Liz Max, outside voice, Tail the Cot finds a way, Erica Lance, Bales Hay, Nancy Lopez saves the day. While Jasmine Aguilera puts a pox on all of your houses. And even though this is not the news, no way is this the news. In fact, you can find an ancient machine known to some as a video cassette player. Press buttons on said machine and see something so horrifying. So frightening that you set the room on which you witnessed it ablaze. And even then, you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNYC. WNYC.